0: Good morning, church. It's good to see everybody. I know we've got uh, folks scattered over the holiday weekend, and so hopefully they're live streaming us. We've got a great live stream audience, and spoke to some of them earlier, and our folks in the uh, uh, Fellowship Center. So we've uh, we've got connections all over. You always wanted to be one of those people that had connections, right? Well, you are now, all right? We're connected to people in a variety of different ways, and so we're grateful for the opportunities we have. Happy 4th of July. I do love our country. I'm proud to celebrate our country. Are you? Yeah. I've been fortunate to travel a lot around the world, and I'm telling you, uh, we have, a, in spite of sometimes all the problems we see and all the obstacles there, we still have a great, great place to live and function in our country. And we're praying for revival in our country. I meet with a group of guys uh, every Thursday morning, uh, uh, other uh, ministers from a variety of different kinds of churches here in town. And we meet every Thursday and we pray together. It's all we do for an hour, we just pray. And we pray for revival for our, our Twin Cities, for our state, for our country, and uh, that's one of the most powerful things you can do, too, by the way. Just spend some time in prayer. Well, uh, I do love freedom, and I love the freedom of our country. But, uh, uh, of course, the greatest freedom of all is the freedom in Christ, right? And that happens because of the same story that never loses its power, the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, that story, that simple story of how... God became flesh and died on the cross for my sins. And his body was put in the ground and he, he was raised on the third day and went back to heaven to help me in life. And one day is coming again. That story, that good news of Jesus, that's what changes people's life. And so whatever else we get caught up in doing and doing good, we can never forget that the heart of everything we do... It's the simplicity of Jesus and who He is and what He's done. It's about what God has done, is doing, and will do for us. That's the message of this church, and it must stay the message of this church until the Lord comes again. Right? The story of the gospel. So, that got emphasized by Paul when he was writing the Corinthian letters, especially in 1 Corinthians 15. He says it's of first importance. By the way, that means there are other things that are not first important. Sometimes we kind of give things more important than they're worth, you know. Uh, and so uh, in the Second Corinthians letter we've been studying, it's all about ministry. And uh, we talked uh, last week about the heart and the holiness of ministry and some of the struggles that Paul had there and challenging the church. But in this chapter, chapter 7, if you'll turn your Bibles or get on your phone or uh, whatever you want to do to access the Scripture, or just tap your neighbor on the shoulder and look at look theirs, so, I mean, you know, we... You can cheat in church, so it's okay. Uh, look on that paper. Uh, you, have a, you have a chapter here where Paul is really, really grateful, and you see his joy restored because of some great things that happened. They've responded, a church that had problems, and I've never been in one yet that didn't, had problems, and yet they responded to his confrontation of their problems, and it resulted in some really good things happening. So Paul had confronted their sin, and the one and a particular individual who had sin, and now he's rejoicing because of their repentance. Now remember, we ended last week on verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. That's where the, the paragraph ends. I just want to remind us of that verse. Read through it real quick. Therefore, since we have promises, these promises, dear friends... Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting, that's the idea of growing or maturing, holiness out of the fear of God or the reverence of God. And so we're always growing, we're always trying to be uh, holy because God is holy. And look, uh, the, uh, the idea of the fact that holiness exists is foreign to our culture today. And so when we talk uh, in church or out of the Bible about the holiness of God, people don't understand what that is. Maybe some of us do not understand what that is, and so we probably need to take a little better look at that. But it's, it's about perfecting it. So it's about, it's about direction, not perfection. We're growing. We mess up. We make mistakes. But still, our desire is to be like God, and so that's the direction we have. Okay. So I used to think that holiness was perfection, that meant no sin. And I never could do that. And so I always wanted to so I mean I grew up kind of with the idea that is is walking in the light or being holy was like a tightrope. You're walking, you stump your toe and say a bad word, you're out of the light. You say a quick prayer, God forgive me, you're back in the light. And so you're kinda of in and out of the light all day long, and you're just kinda of hoping that when Jesus comes, He catches you in the light, right? There's not much assurance there. Matter of fact, if I could just die with a communion cup in one hand bread in the other, and right before I die, just click, click, boom, I'm in, you know? That was kind of the mentality I had. I didn't understand the idea of walking in in the light. Direction. The fact that I can't be perfect. Hey, uh, God took care of my imperfections at the cross, the blood not only washed away my past sins, it continually washes my sins now as I strive to live for him and will take me in, on into glory. So it's about walking in holiness. Now, the first verses 2 through 7 of chapter 7, he's going to talk about restored joy. He's going to explain his heart. He's going to talk about his comfort and his joys increases. Let's read a little bit. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I say before that uh, you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all uh, our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside fears within. you ever have been like that? you got circumstances from the outside that are pressing you and it's hard to deal with. But then on the inside, you're worried about people and you're worried about relationships. Paul had this same kind of thing going on. He's concerned about these guys. And he's worried on the inside about them while he's having to deal with a bunch of outside stuff too. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. He says, look, I've, I've rebuked you. i sent Titus over there to you. And Titus, he, he, man, he finds good news. You're turning your life around. He comes back and brings it to me. You've encouraged him. Now he's encouraging me. Don't you love it when a good plan comes together? Don't you love it when people you've had problems with all of a sudden get those solved and now you can be back to having joy? Remember, he says, you increase my joy. That's what happens when you solve conflict in people's lives. Now, unfortunately, we, we avoid conflict. We don't like it very much. We avoid it. Yet some of the very fact is that sometimes if we take the conflict and handle it the way God tells us to, we can in, increase our joy in the relationships we have. Don't avoid it. Just go ahead and handle things in a godly way, and God will increase your joy. Then, in verses 8 through 13, this is kind of the heart of the chapter. He's going to talk about this repentant heart. Let me read a little bit here. Even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Now, some of us have said that, but we didn't go on to say the rest of the stuff. We just said... I, I, you know what? I told you the truth. If it hurts your feelings, it just hurts your fe- you know, right? By the way, anytime time somebody says, uh, don't take this personal, it's fixing to get real personal. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? You know? Well, now, don't take this personal. Uh-oh. Get ready. Put your shield down. Put a helmet or something because it's going to get personal. He said, even if I cause you to I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurts you. But only for a little while. You ever tell somebody, this is is only going to hurt for a little while. It's kind of like that uh, that nurse here a while back that gave me the COVID test. Now, this is going to bother you just a little bit. I'm telling you, uh, when she touched the top of my head (laughs) with that thing, and my head's against the wall, and I'm trying to go up, and she's just, you know. I felt like I lifted right out of the chair. It hurt for a little bit. And I have to admit, it really didn't bring any pleasure after either. But Paul says, I'm hurting you, but, I, but it's going to bring some pleasure to you. It's, only, it's a short, t- short thing. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorrow. I'm not happy because it hurt you. But because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful, now look at this, as God intended. Rebuking of something wrong in someone's life or correcting that is hurtful for a period of time. But when people respond in a correct way, then relationships get back and there's joy. And that sorrow, that hurt that brought that about is something that God intended to happen. Sorrow led you to repentance. You became sorrowful as God intended. And so were not harmed in any way by us. You know what that means? They realize it wasn't Paul it was not the problem. Their own shortcomings was the problem. And so now they're sorrowful for their sinfulness. And they've taken the right steps toward it. Because godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See What this godly sorrow has produced in you, and what earnestness, and earnestness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing for, what concerns, and what readiness to see justice done. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. In sin, the pleasure passes, sorrow remains. In repentance, the sorrow passes, and the pleasure abides forever. Get that? Two kinds of sorrows in this passage. One is a godly sorrow, and it's all over, and pleasure and life remains. The other sorrow, he says, a worldly sorrow, is death. The pleasure of your sin passed quickly, and now the sorrow remains. Repentance is something that's practical, it's seeable. And you notice it in the behavior of people. We don't talk about that word very much. In, Luke, in the book of Luke, he says, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you'll perish. There has to be a repentance. But repentance is not an act one time of turning things around. You do that, it's an event, but then it continues on in your life. We're continually repenting. We're continually sorrowful when sin captivates our heart. And we want to make that change. And we turn to God and it continually leads to, to life and to salvation. When's the last time you've talked to anybody about, you know, maybe what really needs to be in your life to straighten it out is just repentance. Repentance is something that is a decision that is made, not an emotion that is felt. Now, this is where we have problems because people think, well, I, I must be bad hearted. I didn't feel anything about that. Now, sometimes you just make a decision because God's told you to. There's an obedience Feelings may come or may may not. Feelings and emotions are, are you know they're they're pretty uh, they they're pretty come and go and they cannot be what determines what you think is truth or not. I've had people tell me, Well my got to feel like the Lord and I always my red flags go up. You feel like the Lord what? Well, he just he's going to move me to... You know, I actually had someone tell me one time in a marriage that was breaking up that they said, well, the Lord sent this other person into my life. I'm like, really? Am I reading the same Bible? I, maybe we ought to look at the Bible to decide what truth is about your life instead of your heart. So if I remember the prophet said, the heart's deceitful. Above all things, he's desperately wicked. I'm my own worst enemy. Guess who I listen to the most? The one that talks to me the most, and that's me. And that's a dangerous thing for me. I need to be listening to God's Word. His Word needs to be the loudest voice in the room for my life. We don't like admitting sin, and in today's culture... We downplay it so much that nothing ever really becomes sin anymore. It's just mistakes, it's failures, but it's not really sin. Now, I'm for counseling, I'm for understanding why things happen in people's lives. Don't misunderstand me. And I do think that there are sinful lifestyles that that that, that uh, uh, their raising had something to do with that. But let's not make any mistake about it. Repentance of sin, regardless of how it started in our lives or how it exists in our life, must take place within, by God's Word. Listen to this. I thought this was pretty interesting. Here's a... There's somebody repenting right now. I mean... Uh, that's, that's godly sorrow right there. Here's what... Uh, The words of this uh, poem, I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed, to find out why I killed the cat and blackened my husband's eye. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find, and here's what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. When I was one, my mommy hid my dolly in a trunk, and so it follows naturally, that's why I'm always drunk. When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day, and that is why I feel the urge to have things my own way. At three, I had a feeling of resentment toward my brothers, and so it follows naturally, I poisoned all my lovers. But I am happy now that I have learned the lesson taught. Everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. Now, If you don't think that that is widely true in our culture. The message of even many, many churches. Is you deserve to be happy. And I deserve to be happy. Hey, I'm all for happiness. But somehow or another, it's the idea that we minimize sin or redefine it to a point that you can have what you want and be happy in life and somehow or another still hang on to God and religion. So the acceptance of things that used to be called wrong or sinful all of a sudden are being accepted in churches far and wide. Sexual immorality, homosexuality. Same-sex marriage. On and on. I know it's not popular to talk about. And don't you dare mistake the standing of the Bible as being incompassionate. We, of all people, of God's people, must be loving and compassionate to every human being because there are no broken in the world than I've been broken. There's no better than thou deal up here. We must be open to the broken. But we cannot change what the Bible says is sinful to somehow or another call it okay. You see, here's what's happened. We've exalted man's happiness and diminished God's holiness. Because when that becomes the goal, you have to do the other. In Isaiah chapter six, you remember the prophet there, and uh, there's a call a call to holiness by the prophet. This prophet encounters God's holiness and he is left desolate and he's left distant from God. We see humanity for what it is in the presence of God. We see sin for what it is in the presence of holiness. His confession of unclean lips is kind of unique because that's the very place God touches him to make him clean. says they were calling to one another verse 3 holy 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 three times holy is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory and at the sound of their voices the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke woe to me i cried i am ruined for i am a man of unclean lips and i live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So all of a sudden he realizes the contrast between the unholiness of humanity and the holiness of God. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with thongs from the altar, And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for or paid for. See, when you're in the gospel, when you became a follower of Christ, he touched whatever was unclean about you you your ruined, and in your mistake and in my messes. And he says your guilt is taken away. It's a shame that Satan talks many of us in to keep on carrying that guilt and dragging it around with us. Yeah. Don't need to. Guilt's gone. And your sin's been paid for. You can't pay for it anyway. All we can do is approach this holy God in the same way the prophet did. Utter recognition that the distance between me and God is great. And that I'm unholy and he is holy. I'm man, he is God. And yet, because of what God did for him, he didn't do anything. Do you notice that? This is an exercise of grace that God makes him holy. And that's the only way I'm made holy, too. See, godly sorrow produces change. Change in people's life brings about encouragement. Look what he says back in chapter 7 again. Verse 13, by all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was. Because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. You ever done that? You ever told somebody, oh, you'll love this person. I mean, they're they're great, they're great, even though you know a few of their faults. But you're like, oh, yeah, you'll enjoy them. And you're like, oh, man, I hope I didn't mess up. I hope they act good when they get there, right? It's kind of what happened to Paul. He's like, well, I mean, I know their mistakes, Titus, said, but they're good people, Titus. Just go, for, you're going to you're going to love them, and he does, and he sees the change. And he's encouraged, and by that very fact that it happens when he comes back, Paul gets encouraged. I have boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything was uh, was said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Don't you want that to be the relationship you have with people? you can have total 100% confidence in them. You can be glad about that. So he says his spirit, Paul's spirit, they restored joy. They increased his joy. Their repentant heart turned out to be a a great thing because they turned their life around. And the change in their life, the testimony of their life, ended up refreshing Titus' spirit. And that became a great encouragement to all of them. They all got encouraged in this thing. And as a result, Paul has total confidence. Now, if you had read all and heard us preach on all the other parts of Corinthians, you'd be saying, is Paul ever going to say I have great confidence in those people? He said, well, man, I doubt that. But he does. That's the power of how God changes churches. And that's the power of how God changes individuals. And that's the power of how God has changed your life. Changed lives are refreshing And the testimony of other people is encouraging. Remember in Revelation, he says, how you overcome Satan? It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by the fact that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's how committed they were. Two kinds of sorrows. One leads to life, one leads to death. The choice is yours. Repentance is a decision to change your mind and your walk. And it's one that we continually do. It's it's not something that we practice once and leave. Sitting in this room and in the Fellowship Center and at homes and our live stream audience... Sitting in those seats are miracles. God brought about a supernatural change in someone's heart that turned their life around. And now they're sitting here. people in church. who Six or seven years ago, Brian, would you have been in church? No. His life is a testimony to the power of the gospel. So now when he teaches and, and, and preaches and shares, that's a great encouragement to us. That someone shared the good news and you watched their life make a total change. And went from full of misery to full of joy. I mean, can you, would you have ever imagined you'd be on a staff at church? Some people are saying, we still don't know why you put... No, I'm just kidding, brother. As Brian says, that cat looks sketchy, so... Well, I got news for you. We all came into this sketchy, right? We all came into it broken. But I am so grateful for the grace of God that not only saved me, it keeps saving me, and it will carry me on into eternity. That's what you put your hope in. If you want freedom this weekend... You won't find it in politics. Sorry. You won't find it on the news station. You won't find it in the most positive place you could get with other people who believe what you believe. You won't find it there. Freedom. You want true freedom? It's only found in one place. It's only found in the gospel. Jesus came to set you free. If you need free from your sin, if you need free from your guilt from shame, from past mistakes, the invitation is for you. If you need freedom to live for eternity, that's what is offered right here at this building all the time. Freedom. Why would a person turn freedom down? I don't want one person in the sound of my voice to lay their head on their pillow tonight and doubt whether they're right with God. Don't you do it. When freedom is yours. If you want to be free, come forward today as we stand and as we sing.